Oh, happy Mother's Day, happy Grandmother's Day, happy Great Grandmother's Day, whatever uh, applies to you. This reading is from the last chapter of Isaiah, chapter 66, and reading from verse 12. For thus says the Lord, I will extend prosperity to her like a river, and the wealth of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your body shall flourish like the grass. And it shall be known that the hand of the Lord is with his servants and his indignation is against his enemies. For the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to pay back his anger in fury and his rebuke in flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord execute judgment and by his sword on all flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be many.
You have every failure, God. You have every victory. Thanks for putting your hands together and celebrating some of our own mums. I don't know if you realize, as I was watching that, I was thinking, there's some mums doing what mums just seem to do so often, adapting. This was uh, filmed last year in the midst of trying to figure out what a thing called COVID even meant to us. And I was doing some quick uh, calculations. I was sitting there. Since that was filmed, two mums in that video have added extra kids to their family, so they've been busy. Um, and then we've got two mums in there. Uh, Jess is on the platform leading us this morning, another one leading some kids ministry this morning. And mums just deploying themselves in spaces of love and God strengthening them to do that. So I don't think it's too much to put our hands together again for them. It's wonderful. Yeah. I think what we've just seen actually ministers to us in a powerful way as they ministered to us, delivering these great truths of God and reminding us of His voice over us and His blessing over us. This morning, uh, as we talk about Mother's Day, I was thinking about where to go and I found myself in Isaiah 66. And as I went into Isaiah 66 this week and did some thinking about what I might share this morning, it took me back in time. Strange that, written about uh, 3,000 odd years ago. But it didn't, well, of course, it took me back to that period, but it took me back to a more recent period as well as I reflected on the things that Isaiah was saying and my own life. It took me back to a year that was filled with anticipation for me and expectation and excitement. The year was 2006. Uh, to understand why 2006 was so important to me and so special, you have to understand a little bit of my family dynamic. I am what my South African-born parents call in Afrikaans, Alat Lamaki. I think you've told, I've told you this before, but just in case, Alat Lamaki translates into English as late lamb, translates into Australian as accident. <laughs> my older brother's 13 years older than me. My sister is 16 years older than me, so she is getting on. Um, anyway, they're much older than me. And what that meant is my mother, who, like a woman of her generation, tends to worry a little bit. And my mum used to always say to me growing up, 
you know, your brother and your sister came along and I worried for them and I watched and then they got established and they grew up. And then God brought you and now I have to worry again. And, uh, you know, I slept my way through high school and uh, I was a sales rep and worked in sales. And for my mum, who had a laboratory tech technician in my sister and an electrical engineer and business owner and my brother, sort of looked at me and went, when's this kid going to get a qualification and things like that? Well, 2006 was an important year because this was my final year of four at our Bible college. This was where I was coming to the back end of my study. I was going to have a degree. I was months away from being ordained in early 2007. And so this was the period my mum had been waiting for. Shane will be settled. This is the period I'd been waiting for. Mum will be off my back. And so 2006 was particularly exciting in that way as all things were coming into harmony as they should be for mum and I. But it got even better, because 2006, I found out I was about to welcome another mum into my life. Uh, my dad wasn't up to anything weird. Uh, my wife, Rachel, and I, uh, we, she fell pregnant with our son, Levi, our first child. And so in 2006, I'm like, wow, uh, there's going to be another mum in my world. And, you know, and here are the two mums, the mum who made me and the mum who I had, well, the one I had a part in becoming a mum uh, with our, our first child. And this was a particularly exciting thing. Now, here's where it gets even better, particularly when you're the lummocky. See, my dad's kind of old school. He's old school and he's African. So what that means is I still remember walking down the street after having a, what do you call the thing, the uh, ultrasound. After having an ultrasound, well, Rachel had the ultrasound, I was just there. <laughs> Couldn't have found anything in here. Um, I remember calling my dad, and, I, and as I called my dad, chest inflated as I walked down the street, for my older brother had only produced girls. <laughs> and my older sister, had produced two boys, wrong last name. And so I called my dad, Father. The heir you have sired delivers unto you now the grandson you've been waiting for, and the nations will fear him and tremble as he carries the Dirk's name across the land. And I expected something between my dad just in great exuberance or, you know, here in the car as he down the liquor land to celebrate. Uh, but he was reserved. It's a very strange phone call. I'm thinking, did you not hear? I've done the thing. Dirks goes on. Dad's kind of quiet. And he's like, that's great. That's good. He says, I need to tell you something. I said, what? He said, um... Mum had some kind of a seizure last night. Uh, not sure what it was, but it, you know, it was a seizure and it, was, it wasn't good. As time had progressed, it turned out that my mother was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. I think it was called an astroplastic cytoma. And so as 2006 played out, it played out in a different kind of a way as my mother's health declined and my wife moved closer and closer to being a mother. 
2006 would move to a space where because of my mother's brain tumor, she would at times be very absent or almost vegetative. Um, by January 2007, my mum passed away. And probably the day I think I, I cried the most was, you see, three days after my mum died, I was, I was ordained as an Anglican minister. I'm not huge on the dresses and stuff like that. Am I allowed to say? I think it's kind of silly. <laughs> but on this occasion, as I'm putting on my, my black cassock, which is what, what a minister wears when you're ordained, I cried my face off. Good place to cry in a cathedral surrounded by a bunch of other eager, can't wait to do some pastoring ministers. There was lots of support. But I cried and I felt somewhat ripped off on that occasion because I thought this was the day where mum would have been beaming like the Wollongong lighthouse in its glory days. So happy that chain's established now. He's graduated and now he's ordained and oh, my child, all this sort of stuff. And I'm thinking, I haven't even hit my 30th birthday yet. I think I must have been 27, maybe 28 at the most. And I'm thinking, I'm feeling a little bit ripped off. I feel a little bit ripped off that this day that mum had waited for, this day that I waited for, uh, she's not here for it. And I feel a little bit ripped off. At my age, I feel like I'm a little bit young for my mum to have passed away. But mixed with the feeling of ripped off was an amazing year, 2006, because as my mum was departing, the new mum was emerging. Not my mum, but a, a mum in my life, in, in Rachel becoming a mother. And it was amazing as during that time, God renewed my hope and God gave me strength as he showed his presence, as uh, I'll spare you all the details, but he continued to work and show his hand in growing this child and bringing a wonderful woman into this next stage of motherhood, which continues to blow my mind as she, uh, uh, as she mums. And I saw, wow, God is here and I don't feel ripped off. My hope is renewed, my God loves me, and my God is with me, and my God is into this thing called motherhood. And it's these ideas of motherhood, the renewal of hope, and indeed rejoicing that lead me into the passage. Because one of the things that I didn't share is that during this time of my mum's rapid decline, and Rachel becoming a mum, the thing that we continue to say to my mum in her lucid times, we would say, you've got to hang on to see Levi. Levi was named well before he was born. And he was the hope that she hung on to, that my family hung on to. And as the photo I showed you, she made it. She got to hold her grandchild and all that sort of thing. And it was wonderful. Hope was renewed. And so there's mums, there's renewal, and there's rejoicing, there's hope. And these are the things that I see in Isaiah 66, and I'd like to share them with you this morning. As Isaiah reports what God has said, from verse 12 he says, I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. You may not realize, but two maternal figures appear in this passage. The first maternal figure is the one referred to here as her. Who is the her? 
The her is not a woman, but a maternal figure. It's the city of Jerusalem. God is saying, I'm going to extend this peace, this wholeness, this fullness to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, you'll be strengthened, you'll be carried, you'll be comforted. And I think God's language here is beautiful. Uh, It shows such an affirmation of God who designed motherhood, God who gets motherhood, God who is also maternal in his love, speaks of Jerusalem, this mother place. Why would you call the city a mother place? Well, it's not just that it's a place you like, but Jerusalem is God's holy city. This is a place, uh, it's the capital of Israel, the land, the space, the place that God had given his people. In Jerusalem was the temple where the presence of the Lord was said to dwell. In Jerusalem, this is the city of the king, not just any king, but God's Messiah, his anointed one, the one we learned about back in 1 Samuel, the one who God had said, through him my blessings come, through him my justice will be measured out. Uh, This is where I am with my people. So Jerusalem as place is much like mum's arms as place. In fact, that's the kind of language that's used here. You'll nurse, you'll be carried, and a word new to me from Isaiah, you'll be dandled. I don't know if that's part of your vocab, it's not part of mine, But imagine this beautiful image, the same mighty God, the sovereign one who with an outstretched arm did all these sorts of mighty warrior acts. This is the same God who knows what it is to put a child on your knees and go, and play horses. This is the tender maternal design and tender maternal love of God our Father, the triune God who gets what it is to be maternal who gets what it is to strengthen, to carry, and to offer a horsey ride. He says, that place where you find comfort, yeah, I'm going to bring peace to it. I'm going to make it strong. And there'll be horsey rides there. They'll be carrying when you're tired. And there'll be strength and nurture. That's what I'm going to do. Jerusalem is my maternal place. But with this promise of peace, fullness, strength, carrying, and horsey rides, it's mixed with tragedy, it's mixed with fear, and it's mixed with disaster. Because if you uh, pay attention to what God says here, he says, I'm going to bring comfort over Jerusalem. What's the comfort? What's the over Jerusalem? Well, much of Isaiah's message has been, and even in this very chapter earlier, Jerusalem will be destroyed. For this maternal place that God had put where his presence should be known, where his children should be nurtured, where the faithful should find encouragement, Jerusalem has been distorted. There are idols. There's ungodliness. There's all kinds of things that God hadn't prescribed. This mum, this Jerusalem mum, has not mummed as God planned the head of mum. And so there is a prediction that there will be a destruction of Jerusalem. God is bringing that. And as I reflected on these promises, both wonderful and tragic, it showed me something again about the way God our Father, the triune God, understands because he designed and because he practices this beautiful, tender, gentle, and precious maternal love that we celebrate today. God loves motherhood. 
God gets motherhood. He reveals himself as father, but he is able to practice that wonderful, comforting, nurturing, carrying, horsey ride, maternal love. That's his expression. And so I think God delights today as we celebrate motherhood. God speaks blessing. And I think God gives his amen as we say, happy Mother's Day. This is something that God's into. This is something God wants to affirm. This is something God designs. And on top of that, what I think is so wonderful, maternal, and gentle of our God, who nurses, carries, and horsey rides, is he offers his presence and his strength even when motherhood goes wrong. I told you there are two maternal figures in this passage. One is the city of Jerusalem. The other is the Lord himself, verse 13. He says, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. I will act as mum. I will comfort you where Jerusalem your mother has not. Where Jerusalem your mother falls down, where Jerusalem your mother fails, I will comfort you, I will be there. The horsey rides are on me. The nursing is with me. The carrying will be in my arms. I will be your God, and with a maternal love, I will be with you. And what is beautiful about this is it seems that God very much wants to minister to these ancient faithful people, to you and to me, and to anyone, whether we delight in a mother who has just been the salt of the earth, whether we remember a mother who is lost, whether we're in a relationship where motherhood is somehow on whatever level being distorted, or perhaps even where the motherhood that was desired, and I'm so grateful for Philip's prayer, was never able to manifest. God says, in that space where motherhood which I affirm, and let no one speak against it, motherhood which I have designed, even in that space where it falls down, where it brings pain, where it brings hardship, where it brings feeling ripped off, I'll step into that place. For I affirm motherhood to the point that even when the earthly mother, be it Jerusalem or a human, is not able or won't, I will. On my knees, in my arms, at my breast. God will be there. His presence is there. God loves maternal love. He practices maternal love. And to all, he promises renewal. I want you to hear that. God promises renewal. Maybe if you're like me, you lost a mom and you, I, I saw it already. He promises renewal. To the tired mums, there might be one or two of you here. God promises renewal. He promises his strength. He promises his support. He promises to dandle you, mum, on his knees. He promises to strengthen you, mum, in his arms. He promises to carry you when you're weak. To those without mums, God says, watch to me, let me nurture you. And those not able to be mums, God says, come with. I'll show you what it is to exercise maternal love. I have a space for you. What's amazing in this passage is not just the promise of renewal, but the promise to come and see. God says, as, as we move on, 
to verse 14, God says, look, there will be rejoicing. And when will there be rejoicing? When you see. Let me read it for you. When you see this, this renewal that God has promised, these acts he's going to do, he says, your heart will rejoice and you will flourish like grass. And the hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but his fury will be shown to his foes. God says, this is not just a happy hallmark card I'm writing for you. This is something observable that I'm going to do that you will see. And when you see it, rejoicing will come to you. When you see me act, you'll be strengthened. You'll have hope again. This was my story as I was losing my mum and another mum was coming into my life. I was seeing God act. And for my whole family, there was, there was rejoicing and there was hope as we saw God doing his thing. But it's what God is saying to these people in, in uh, ancient Israel as well. He says, if you look and you watch me act, you'll see my hand. And when you see my hand, though you might despair over your lost mum, Jerusalem, you'll see me restore her. You'll see my present work. You'll see that I will comfort you. You'll see and you will, re you will rejoice once more. You see, what are these people going to see? The first act they're going to see is what will happen with Jerusalem. They're going to see God come in and through the Babylonian army under Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to destroy Jerusalem. In time, he'll return people to Jerusalem. Now, you might say, wait a minute. How is anyone rejoicing over that? The return bit I get, but the uh, destroying of the place, that's rough. Well, God's going to do what uh, good mums do. There's going to be justice and there's going to be protection. Sometimes you cry out to your mum for justice. He's not sharing. And mum comes in and she brings equity. Sometimes mum realizes there needs to be justice. You should have seen my auntie Eileen with a slipper. I'm glad that woman was my auntie and not my mum. My cousin copped it. This is not my statement on what to do with punishing kids and stuff like that. This is just me telling stories. Just saying, that woman knew how to minister out justice. <sighs> and so mums do that. And so perhaps for Jerusalem, a place that was meant to be where the presence of God was known, where people would be nurtured, strengthened, and what, what have you, God was showing that he was a mum who was conscious and knew that they're not sharing the love of God there, that they're not doing the right things to make you strong, that you've fallen in with bad company. And so God came in, and he indeed, he cleared out Jerusalem. He brought his justice. He also brought his protection and nurtured people through years of exile and brought them back. But that was just the first act. The act God was really speaking of here would come almost a thousand years later in the person of his son, Jesus. Jesus would be the one who would come and who would show what justice looks like. Jesus is the one who would come and would show what protection looks like. When you see God act in Jesus, you tend to rejoice and you say, hey, this God hasn't forgotten about nurturing us. This God hasn't forgotten about protecting us. This God hasn't forgotten about carrying us. This God has not forgotten at all about the joy of sitting on a knee and having a horsey ride. This is a God who loves me and plays with me, nurtures me and protects me, and he is in the game in Jesus. 
You know, as I reflect back again on 2006, I will share one detail with you. Uh, how do I put this? When you're a Bible college student, now I'm aligned them. When I'm a Bible college student back in the day, you're always thinking about what it is to be Christian and stuff like that. And you're always never quite sure where people are at. And you know, what do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? One of the wonderful ways that God worked during that time, my mum, my mum baptized me in a Roman Catholic church. I'm really grateful, really grateful to be baptized in a church that affirms the three creeds. But there's some things about that church that, you know, I wouldn't ascribe to today. I didn't ascribe to then. And I was concerned about where my mum might stand. And we used to have these conversations sometimes where I'd sort of say, do you believe this? I remember one of them was like, I said, do you believe in praying to Mary and that you've got to earn your space? And she said, I don't believe that stuff. And I'd say, mum, sometimes it seems like I, you're this creature I've met. And I say to you, do you eat worms? And you say, no, yuck. And I say, do you build nests? And she says, no. And I say, can you fly? And she's like, no. And I go, then why do you call yourself a bird? We'd have these conversations where I'd ask her what she believed, uh, and based on her understanding of the church she belonged to, she talked more about where she belonged. And our conversations would sort of miss each other a lot of the time. I'd be challenging on belief, she might be challenging on belong, and it just didn't quite play out. It's a whole other conversation to have, but I wanted to share with you a beautiful moment that God gave mum and I as she knew she was dying, and she asked me to do her funeral and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and I got to do my mum's funeral. First funeral I ever took, three days after I was ordained. They get easier from there. We got to talk about what difference does Jesus' death and resurrection make? And aside from all the bits where her as someone who'd been Roman Catholic all those years and me being a true blue Sydney Anglican might have missed each other, we found a common space and clarified a common space that all of us have a problem of sin that Jesus' death and his death alone demonstrates that sin is a really big problem that has only one solution, and it's him. And in that conversation, I think I got some things clarified, and my mum got some things clarified, and we ended it with, we have one hope and one hope alone, and that is Christ's death and resurrection. And if you trust in that, we'll figure out the other stuff, but you'll be good to go for heaven. What a blessing to me as God showed his hand in that moment as I felt renewed in my hope and renewed in my rejoicing. And that's the only reason I could take my mum's funeral because I put my mum's casket in the ground knowing that it was a casket that held a corpse while her, while her real life, her soul, was with the Lord. God renewed my rejoicing and my hope. He dandled me on his knees. What God has done for all of us is sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus is the perfect act, the perfect place. Jesus is the one where God is going to bring comfort. Jesus is the one where God has said, let me strengthen, strengthen you, nurture you, and dandle you. Because you see, Jesus comes not like Jerusalem. Well, like Jerusalem, but not the same as Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a maternal place. Jesus is God's ultimate place. You see, Jesus, much like what Jerusalem was meant to be, Jesus is the place where God's presence dwells. Better than a bricks and mortar 
temple. Jesus is the man, the God man. He comes. He is the place where you can know God's presence with you. Jesus comes, and not just the city of the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the king. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the king. He is the place where you see God's justice, God's reign, God's rule. Jesus comes and makes God known. He is the place on, not right now, but he is the place on earth where people could come and see and know God. And Jesus is the place that we look to know and see God. That's where Jerusalem was a foretaste. Jesus is the ultimate place. Jesus, as the one who comes, and like Jerusalem before him, is destroyed. He's put on a cross and he dies. He dies for the sin of the whole world because mum's doing justice. Mum's eradicating all the problems. The bad company that we've fallen into, we're part of the bad company. And God our Father does a wonderful maternal work of love where he's getting rid of the bad company. Jesus dies for sin. But God restores. Jesus doesn't stay there. Jesus is risen from the grave. He's risen from the grave, and because he's risen from the grave, God offers new life and protection to all people. He renews us and he brings rejoicing. There's one other thing God gets about maternal love. Dealing with recalcitrant children. Sometimes you pour yourself out and they just don't want a bar of it. Have a look at Matthew 23 with me. Let's see if we can bring it up on the screen. Fantastic. Jesus says in verse 37, to this Jerusalem, God had promised such wonderful things about Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen, that's the mummy bird, gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. He stands and he looks over this maternal figure of Jerusalem says, I wanted to love you. I wanted to mother you, but you've been recalcitrant. You've been stubborn. You've rejected my ways. And now that I even come to you, you reject me again. What does Jesus, God among us, do with that? He does an amazing act of maternal love. He loves sacrificially. He doesn't say, well, I'm done with you. He surrenders his life. He dies for the sin even of the recalcitrant child. He rises to new life with a brand new day and a chance to start again. We have a wonderful God who reveals himself as Father. We have a wonderful God our Father who knows what it is to love in a maternally beautiful way. A God who protects a God who does justice. A God who speaks of renewal, fresh starts. And a God who is able to bring rejoicing among those if we will only look and see. And so as I pray for us in just a moment, I guess the question I want to put to you, whether you're a mum, whether you're a dad, whether you're in none of those things, is have you taken a moment to look and see? Because God said in this passage, when you see me do these things, you'll know that I'm the God who is renewing hope 
bringing rejoicing and who loves you and is for you. So have you looked and seen what Jesus has done? Have you observed that God came to be the place where we might find nurturing, strength, be carried and be dandled? If you haven't looked and seen, this Mother's Day, it's time to observe Jesus. It's time to see the sacrificial love that God has poured out and surrender yourself to it. Let me pray for us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing love for us. We thank you that in your tender mercy, you speak in such a beautiful maternal way of providing care, be that a city like Jerusalem, be that the earthly mothers you have given us. You designed this concept of maternal love and all the things that it may mean. You've designed this idea of being nurtured, being carried, being dandled. And so, Father, we praise you for that. But, Father God, we praise you especially that uh, you haven't set us off. There's your mom, off you go. But no, you're the God who stays involved. You're almost like a divine grandmother in that way as you just bless on top of blessing. You bring comfort where there is despair. And in our Lord Jesus, your Son... You've shown this wonderful sacrificial love. You have shown us a space in history where you can demonstrate your love, where we can look and see that you are a God who is for us, where we can look and see that you are a God who loves us with the tenderness that is only known by you. And so, Father God, I pray for all of us this morning that uh, once again, this Mother's Day, we would look to Jesus. And in seeing him and his perfect love, We pray that there might be strength for those of us who grieve motherhood that hasn't manifested or that has ended, or that just hasn't gone the way we might have hoped. And for all of us who celebrate, may we celebrate that this is your design, this is your purpose, and this is a love that is perfected by you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.